Hello, and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and today we're going to talk to a woman who has reinvented herself several times in spite of several setbacks she's had in her life. Today, I have the extreme pleasure of introducing Lisa Charles, a federal prosecutor who has morphed into a singer, actress, wellness expert, certified health coach and consultant, and professional speaker. She has served in the fitness and wellness area as a research coordinator for the Rutgers University Aging and Brain Health Alliance, and she is the CEO of her very own organization, Embrace Your Fitness. She's also the author of the book, Yes, Commit, Do, and Live. Miss Lisa Charles, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here today to share a little of your journey with us. Well, I am over the moon excited to be here to really talk about this, something I know we both have a passion in, this wellness field. Oh, absolutely. And I, I can't wait to really get into it, delve into things with you, because um, you have such an amazing background, such an amazing story. And I want to actually kind of start by going back to your days as a federal prosecutor. When did you decide that going to law school and practicing law would be a part of your trajectory? Well, actually, my decision happened a little early in my life because I love the reruns of Perry Mason. And I would see him in court. And of course, he always won, but he was all so dramatic. And it just, you know, you have some things that just made a, a, a indelible imprint on me. And I was pretty determined that that's what I was going to do. So, um, yeah, so pretty young. And then somewhere um, before I was even in junior high school, I had gone down the street, knocked on a lawyer's office and just wanted to go in the office and talk to them about what it is to be a lawyer. Um, so I, I really started, you know, with an interest and then started taking action to see that interest come, come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed that uh, after reading over your background, your bio, and even speaking with you a little bit, you have had such an amazing career thus far, graduating from George Washington University with a Juris Doctorate in 1987. Then you went on to work as the Assistant District Attorney in Brooklyn, New York in 1988, and then became the Assistant U.S. Attorney in 1990 for the District of New Jersey. I noticed you received the Attorney General Award for successfully prosecuting several members of the notorious Genovese crime family and even received a commendation from the Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Quite an amazing background. Tell me what it was like as a young Black woman to be working in those uh, major cities on some, you know, huge cases at the time. What, what was that like? Well, you know, um, Celeste, I was so driven to really bring, I, I always felt a sense of healing to the voices that sometimes are not heard. And so in Brooklyn, um, really doing a lot of rape cases and child abuse cases and even some arson cases, I just put my whole heart and my soul, my being in, in just assuring that I could be the voice to some people that were the voiceless. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I can honestly say those cases still, many of them still stay with me today. Um, and I took that with me, I had some amazing, amazing, amazing police officers I work with in Brooklyn that could find anybody. My witnesses sometimes were a little hard to find and they could find them in the a, in, in a shake of a tree or a flip of a dime. Um, and I'll, I'll always remember who I worked with. But I have to tell you, um, and you know this from our earlier conversation, I had this fascination with organized crime. I, I'm a history buff. I love things that really kind of tied in over centuries, over, over decades, and understanding those relationships and how it related to, um, you know, the communities. But more importantly, just what was being done to communities with people that had this sort of uh, power over often people that came from the same place that they did and then later on to everyone. So when I came to the U.S. Attorney's Office, it was really my heart and soul to work in the organized crime unit and working it. It was everything that you would imagine. Um, it was that tie into history. Uh, you know, it, it, it obviously um, had some dangers to it. Um, but we were really trying to make a difference in a lot of communities for people that had taken advantage in great ways um, for many years. And it was quite humbling being a part of a prosecution team that was successful on a case that we did we, from investigation through trial was several years in the making. Um, yeah. You mentioned as a Black prosecutor, though, coming in, you know, more numbers in Brooklyn. When I first came to the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was the only Black prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey for a period of time. There had been people before me. Um, I went in looking for people. <laughs> I just wanted to see who else was uh, that looked like me that was in the office and got to hear about some of the people that had served before, but it was a handful so coming in, you know, I felt um, really kind of a, a, a sense of pride, a sense of responsibility to make sure that I really would leave a legacy that others coming after me could really be proud of. And so that was always a part of everything that I did while I was in the office. Well, I am certainly proud of you because I too have been in circumstances where, you know, you're the only one, many times the only woman. And, um, you know, it is a lot to uh, process and to um, go through. I, 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 I would not focus on that. I'm sure you were the same way. It was more on, let's just get in here and do a good job. But and when you think back, probably to some of the things that you <laughs> probably had to deal with and were subjected to, um, you know, you realize, wow, that, I mean, nobody else did that, you know, yes. and so that. You are to, to be commended for that because it, I'm sure, was a lot, <laughs> you know, well, at you times. Know, like, you know? And I, I know you would relate. It was a driven mindset and it was a take no prisoners. And I got, you know, people would say, oh, you have such a nice smile. But if you saw me in court, I could use the smile and the smile would be <laughs> like a venomous <laughs> snake bite. <laughs> I could be both sides. <laughs> Don't be fooled. Um, often being the only woman in the room often being surrounded by people that weren't used to working with women in the room, <laughs> um, had to check a lot of people all the time, had no problem doing that. Um, and But at the same time, I think 
my, my chief thing was I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do the best job. And regardless of what you think about women or whatever you have and any issues you have, you will never be able to question what I brought to the table. And, you know, there were, um, you know, it's funny because when I left the U.S. Attorney's Office, there were FBI agents and such that would really be trying very hard to get me to take their cases. Because one of the things they knew is that I was going to take it and I was going to bulldog through it. And we were, if it was the right thing to do, I don't take prisoners. And I'm looking at the end of the prize, which is saving some piece of the community, really elevating some issue that has not been elevated before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud that that was, that was what I was able to do. Um, I, I will say this running little joke, my, in my, I think there's some of my family may be listening, but, um, I used to always love family or whoever to come to my trials, but for my organized crime trials, the role I had for my family set aside was always empty. <laughs> they don't want to come. They were like, uh, Lisa, when you move out of that area, we will come and see you. But we used to have a running joke in our family, you know, get togethers about when are you guys coming in? <laughs> exactly. I, I know the feeling, you know, uh, sometimes you're walking and treading upon places. Others, others would dare not, I'll just say, but in any case. Um, so, you know, obviously at the height of your career, um, you decided to move in, an, in another direction. Um, what was going on at the time? Well, it's a funny thing. I, um, in college, I did a lot of acting and plays. It wasn't anything I thought, oh, I'm going to seriously do it. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the teachers had said, you know, I have an agent from LA wants to meet with you. And I didn't take the meeting because I didn't mm. want to get off track. So I, my mind, I was, was very driven to what I believed was you know, as I understood it growing up, you pick one thing, you do one thing and you do it well until you retire and get a gold watch, you know, or, or something at the end of the day. So yeah. I was on that. <laughs> I thought that's it. You know, I'm on that trajectory. And yeah. I was doing these cases. And I, and I like to say, you know, uh, federally, you know, I have won every single case I did. And I was on my last case. Um, it was a case which mixed together um, organized crime and a, a, a group of officers that were robbing people uh, and burglarizing their homes over years. And so I put together a conspiracy between the two. It was a big case. It was, it was everything all my cases did, which was very time intensive. And um, in the midst of that case, I started having this feeling that I, I enjoyed what I was doing. I did. I, I had put my heart in it. I loved courtroom drama. I was Perry Mason. Perry Mason would have been proud of me now. I loved the courtroom. Um, but I felt like there was something else. And it started with just a feeling inside. And then it just morphed into okay, there are things I love. I was acting on the side. I started singing on the side. I was singing at um, some of the jazz clubs in the city. And I have a really wonderful FBI agent, Jim. If he hears this, he'll know who he is. And he came in my office one day and he, and he asked me, when are you going to do what you do on the side in the front? Like, when are you going to shift? I had never thought that it was even in a realm of possibility. You know, sometimes people come in little angels and say a word. Once That's he right. said, <laughs> I got to thinking and I thought, nothing stops that. 
nothing stops that. And Mm. I made the decision really to give this other passion of mine, this acting, singing a chance. What's the worst that can happen? That's what I started saying to myself. (laughs) Now I will tell you that it wasn't Mm. always well received my decision to do thus. (laughs) Uh, My dad, he was, he was worried. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And all the people who relied on you, you know, because I know with the type of work that you did, the impeccable work that you did, that everyone in the office was like, oh, no, you know, who are we going to get to do all of this, you know, for this, you know? So, yeah, I can understand. <laughs> yes, yes. I took a few people uh, aghast. A um, but for me, once the decision was made, I, I didn't make it because I hated something. I didn't make it because I had to leave. I, I made it because right. it was time for something new. And for me, um, you know, it was, it was very empowering. Um, now I'm still a type A personality. So, you know, I didn't just go in there and say, oh, uh, can someone tell me what should I start with? No, I, I had a plan. <laughs> it's like, I need an agent. Step one, get an agent. things up. Right, right. I had a one woman show, you know, so I was still kind of driven. I wanted to get in the union, you know, so I wanted to do the things that I knew would, would bring more success in that field. Um, but at the same time, it was just this opportunity to explore pieces of me that I didn't even know fully existed. And right. it just took me in so many different, amazing, amazing opportunities, both on the singing and the acting side. Right. I, I you know, I've had sort of a similar journey with, you know, uh, before starting my business, you know, I had always excelled in television things and worked as a news reporter and did all of that. But something in me was very afraid about leaving that comfort zone, what I was used to. And I mean, my stomach was like tied up in knots. And I remember you were talking about little angels. Uh, One of my husband's friends called on the phone for him that day, but of course he wasn't there. And so I ended up in this whole conversation with him and, um, he said, what's going on, girl? What's, you know, <laughs> what are you up to? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about um, starting my own company. And he's like, really? Um, he goes, well, what, you know, what's stopping you? <laughs> you know, and I said, well, I'm a little afraid. You know, and he goes, all right, what's the worst thing that can happen? That's what he asked me. And I said, well, um, let me see. I've kind of worked since I was like nine years old, had a newspaper route um, and kind of never stopped working from that point. You know, I said, I guess I would go get another job, you know, if it didn't work out or whatever or work two or three, you know. And and uh, he said, you know, think about this. He said, fear is just false evidence appearing as real. And I mean, I really took that to heart and bless his soul. His name was Sherard. He he left us during COVID with, you know, all of that that was going on. We'll we'll be touching on some of that COVID stuff in just a minute. But um, you know, it's it's funny how people can say something that triggers something. And then, you know, it's it's somewhat hard sometimes figuring out you know, okay, I know I was put here for a reason. <laughs> I know I'm here for a reason. And what is that? And sometimes it isn't just that one thing. I mean, you know, some people do do the same job 30, 40 years, kind of unheard of now, but, you know, some people do do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then sometimes 
there are some of us, there, there are other things that we really are supposed to be doing. And it's hard sometimes navigating that and, and figuring that out. Now, I know with you, you also had something, you, you lost your voice. Tell me about that. When did that happen in, in this whole process? Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate and, and very sorry for your loss of your friend. Um, yes. Yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, just the, you, you mentioned the big F word, the fear. And that is just one of those things that can wrap you in various ways. So, you know, I always had this thing, like, I, I love fear to sit next to me. It just, it's in the next seat with me everywhere I go. It's awesome because fear on the other side of fear is amazing opportunities. It's in, mm. incredible experiences and adventures just on the other side. All you have to do is go through the door is how I see it. So yeah, it's a big yeah. step though, isn't it? It's, a well, it's kind of like a Smith <laughs> park ride. You know, the first step might be a doozy. I didn't say it's <laughs> soft landing and easy, but it, it, we'll never know. The unknown is to me, what is really fearful if you never tried, if you don't know. And so for me, I was rocking through. I had a lot of, when you do step into something and you, you, I know can relate to this, whether it's in the media or whatever, you start to think about all the different aspects of what you can bring and what can be brought to you. Your, uh, your mind starts moving. And I was doing that with singing. I was doing that with acting. I um, had a chance to get into opera. I was, I had a concert that I was a part of in one of, um, at Carnegie Hall. And, and I had this trajectory planned in my mind and I started having and experiencing just little problems, just sometimes this one little note, this one little area, and it just started progressing. Um, There was a really bad habit with some singers uh, that I jumped into that if you felt hoarse at all, you would take an antibiotic mm. that could get rid of your hoarseness right away. So you could perform that night. But if mm. you're having hoarseness, there's another problem going on. I didn't, wasn't in tune with that. I just wanted to perform and I developed an infection uh, onto the antibiotics. Very, very wow. infection, throat infection. And when I came out of it, I just lost the ability, the innate ability, um, uh, where your voice plays, how it goes. And so initially I had problems with my speaking voice, which was more concerning to me at the time. I had to go through voice therapy. I was about 70 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. I was now, I would say like I was, I didn't want to just turn back to law. If I was going to practice, it was because I wanted wanted to, not because I had to. I didn't know my footing forward with singing. So I, I just had to figure what is it. And I will say, instead of leaping into something, what I decided was maybe this was a bit of a wake-up call for me and my health. Maybe, maybe this was all I needed to do, not think about things or make a plan, but let me just take a moment with my health and why can't I lose weight? Why am I always yo-yoing? Why am I stuck in sort of, it seemed like a hamster wheel. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, I really, I don't wish different things on people. I don't wish that on me, that experience, but it was an experience that, changed the next stage of my life because I then began this transformation 
of understanding the importance of wellness and redefining what that was first for myself um, and then ultimately for others because I found a new passion. And if you would ask me, Celeste, 10 years earlier, is your passion going to be you're going to have a wellness consultancy? I would have been like, uh, I don't think so. I'll be singing. <laughs> you know, I'd have had something else to tell you. But it, right. it was a burning passion. Maybe for the same reasons we've done different parts of our careers. It's because I felt there's a lot of false information that I have been living on for most of my life. And detrimentally harmful information that if I continued down that road, I would have gone on a road like so many others with medications and illnesses and this and that, because I wasn't really taking care of myself as I should. Right. Um, we're going to stay on that thought. So hold that thought of, of uh, where, where we are right now. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you took what many would have taken as being extremely devastating and turned it around. So we'll be right back in just a moment. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org. And welcome back. You're listening to the Celeste Stein Show. And today I am speaking with Lisa Charles. And uh, Lisa, you certainly know how to turn lemons into lemonade. But how? How did you decide what you were going to do next after losing your voice? Well, as I said, the one thing I did, which I think was just such a mind reliever for me, as I said, I'm going to tackle this thing called health for me. The only rule I had was I'm not going to go on a diet because I was an expert dieter. I belong to, I have lifetime memberships to three different diets. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's not good. <laughs> okay. That should tell you something. <laughs> I was just tried everything. I always challenge people. I don't think anyone could pick more than I did in, especially just the ones over the counter, the ones in the magazines. Um, my first diet was just a banana diet, you know, at the age of 11. Um, so I, I just said, I'm not doing that. That was the only rule I made. And I started just trying food, but really how does this food feel for me? What does it do in my body? Uh, it does it make me feel good. And I really painstakingly, I took about a year and a half to figure it out and to find my place, not only in how I feel my body, but how I move my body. And at the time uh, I found this whole thing called Zumba, which was relatively new back then. I'm like, this thing's great. Um, I was losing I was Zumbaing and an instructor said to me uh, one day, I was in the back of the class and she said, you all the way there, come to the front of the stage. I said, me? <laughs> I'm not that I haven't been in the stage before, but I had never danced in front of all and led. And as soon as my foot hit the wood, I said, wow, this is amazing. 
I could be paid to continue to exercise <laughs> and to lose weight. And it just started opening up this possibility. Uh, started as seated as that, of course, as I will go back to my theme. I am a slight type A personality. So once I determined that, wow, I really love this, I just started, I said, well, I want to be, let me be a fitness uh, instructor. Oh, I love this. So let me be a fitness uh, coach. Let me be a trainer. Let me be a health coach. You know, everything just sort of spiraled in because of a passion, not simply because what was happening in my body, which was amazing, but the fact that with a few tweaks and keeping it simple and keeping it fun, I could transform the lives of so many people that I cannot tell you what that did for my heart. And it had nothing to do with, did I miss performing singing? Absolutely. I don't dwell on what I don't do. I dwell on what I can do in the future, seeding all of that. And so I just put everything into that, um, started my business, Embrace Your Fitness, started working at so many locations and gyms and training, but I'm a lawyer by trade. I know how to put together programs. I would see things and say, wow, they could do that better. So then I just naturally morphed into consulting and putting together programs um, and then hiring people that could do the thing. So my business just started morphing in the ways that honor all aspects and facets of who I am, my professional side that I bring to the table. And it didn't take long for it to get there. I think the key for me was having a way to approach it that's unique. And knowing because I've lived all facets of the journey, the junk that's out there, I was going to say the word crap, but some of it just is that. I can't come up with a better word. (laughs) When I was acting, I will tell you this. When I was doing a lot of acting, I did a lot of commercials, did that for a really long time. And I would get a, a call for a fitness machine, you know fit person, we need you know three really fit people to come in and do those commercials. You look at and say, oh, do this 20 seconds a day, you know, and you will look like this. I'm telling you all those commercials are like I saw the ad for that. So that's what people are being fed. And then when they don't get the results, they blame themselves. So I wanted to come up with something that one would say, you are the hero of your health story. You are the hero. You're the driver. You're the leader. So as the leader, you have a responsibility for your brain, your body, and your connectivity to celebrate the integrated you, the whole you. So that's going to be how you think as well as how you move your body, how you feel. And then I, I always say I bought in the Cinderella stories. And I'll, I'll tell you that came as a working at the Rutgers University, but I brought in the Cinderella's of how you breathe and how you sleep, because people don't talk about that, and your relationships with yourself and with others. And Mm. all of those things are your wellness. So if you're only working on your diet, I'm telling you, you you're not going to be fully well. You will never be fully happy. You will get to a point you won't be satisfied and you won't know why. And that's likewise picking any one, cherry picking So my whole thing for my business was how can I bring together a really cool integrated programming that's fun? Because if it's not fun, it's drudgery. And if it's drudgery, you're not going to do it for very long because your brain uses and you'll run away. It's got to be fun. Maybe for a second, but 
then it, it's out the window. So as you kind of uh, made this transformation, um, you know, this mind-body uh, connection that you speak about, is that what really led to the success, you think, of of your program and, and what you're doing? Is is that the key component that a lot of people are missing? Yes. I always say, you know, we've talked about angels coming. So I was working in the hospital doing programming for um, staff, really involving this kind of connection. And I always was this mind-body connection, slowing at movements down, filling your muscles, fine, and doing all of these things. And um, a really wonderful mentor I had at the hospital said, you know, Lisa, a couple of programs have come up, um, got me doing something for the state that was in this whole other program. And simultaneous to that, someone that I had met maybe three years earlier tapped me for a really, um, it's not a program I could have applied to. It just so happened she was a post-grad in the neurology department at Rutgers University. I am not a neurology student. I want to let you know that. But she knew (laughs) my interest in this brain-body connection. She said, I know this is not a real position, but I want you to come in and fill a piece of what I did. You will come in as the coordinator, the wellness fitness coordinator, and you will help us on a study that's looking at why African-Americans are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's and dementia. You'll come in, you'll run a wellness portion of it that you will create for how they fuel their body. And then you will help us with making sure people stay committed to the whole breadth of the study. Because we know that's what often happens. People can fall off. So how can you make this part, which is a fitness part, you know, something that people want to come to even even beyond when they get tired of it? You know, so how, how can you build that community? And in the process, what a gift. I had to go to a number of symposiums. I would go to neurology symposiums. I would listen about what is the keys to health? And they were talking about the health of the brain. And so for a lot of it, it was really about sleep. It was really about relationships, challenging the brain. And of course, how you eat and how you move. That was also in there and how you deal with stress. Those were the real strong components. I would go to my fitness symposiums. They would never mention anything about sleep. If they mention it, it would just be like, oh, you should get more sleep. But in the neurology symposium, they're saying that's one of the most important things. If that's not working, the rest is going to fail. You're going to, you know, this is one of the gateways towards Alzheimer's and dementia. So what it allowed me to do is bridge the two and say, there is, I'm not saying just mind body. It's a brain body. Let's call it what it is. This is how the brain works. I need you to exercise, fuel the brain and understand that if you don't do that, your body can never do what you want it to do in the ways you want it to do. It will be limited at best, or it will fail you at worst. So that whole concept of really just calling it what it is, it is a brain body connection. And at the same time, recognizing that there is this whole other aspect of who we are, how we believe ourselves to be, how we relate, those beliefs that we have are your wellness. If your beliefs are off, if they're if they're limiting, if they're just based on faulty information, um, if it's the belief either in yourself or in others, it impacts your wellness. So mm-hmm. my approach was covering all recognizing that if you miss any one component, 
your road to health and happiness, uh, true happiness is going to be impaired significantly. Um, and that's where all the creativity comes in because, well, okay, how can I get you to know that sleep is really important? And that is an important part. So you'll see me speak a lot of times on just taking out components and helping people to elevate it and then put it back into the system that they are maybe already have going. Or some people need the, the complete rebuild because they're not doing anything. And they, they really don't even know. So rebuilding, you know, understanding that that beautiful connection that exists. We're so unique, so fabulous what the brain can do for our bodies. Um, I just, and it sounds like uh, you learned so much as you kind of went down that path with rough records uh, in, in what you were doing as the coordinator there. Um, I read the article that you wrote uh, in Brains mm-hmm. that uh, talked about healing our soil uh, to transform our health. And I thought that was really, really interesting, this whole mind-body, but also uh, that talks a little bit about environment and our ecosystem and what's actually going on there. And one of the things I found, I mean, it just kind of stopped me in my tracks when I read, it was a line that was like, uh, in, it, it said, uh, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization, that a third of the world's soil population uh, now moderately to highly is is now moderately to highly degraded due to erosion, compaction, nutrient imbalance, pollution, acidification, uh, water logging, and loss of soil biodiversity. Uh, let's let that sink in for a minute, right? And then, uh, <laughs> you know, let that sink into our brains and not the soil for a minute, right? And <laughs> um, just thinking about, you know, what does this actually mean uh, for us from a health perspective when it comes to this part of the ecosystem? I mean, I don't think it's something that people really stop to think about. It's almost like it's, I don't hear anything. I mean, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not hearing anything about that. You're, that's the first article like that, that I've read. We have all these things going on in the world, but that's like a quiet little thing ticking in the background. And it it is scary. You know, when you really stop to, re- if you read that whole thing, and uh, you know, it's like the devastation that could occur from not addressing that very important issue. Um, do you think there will be a time where we actually run out of good soil? Well, I'm going to say this. And, you know, when you're talking about something ticking in the background, whether people want to hear the tick or not, it's ticking. The tick will get louder and very loud when we start to see food shortages in, um, you know, especially um, ones that we rely so much on to help our bodies enrich our bodies with the nutrients and minerals and vitamins that we need. So we're talking about our plants that come from soil. So um, I am always at a loss as to why it's not at the forefront, but the best that I have been able to come up with is that because we live so compartmental, this is this part of our life, that is this part of our life. And because we are so removed from the soil, which means most people don't plant, don't have gardens, don't do these things. And, you know, so most people see food as something you get at the grocery store, even if it's coming from the farm. There's 
not everybody, but a lot of people have put these sort of um, barriers between them and where the food comes from, where your source is. And so because of that, um, it doesn't seem like it really relates to you directly. Now, if the grocery store ran out of food, it would relate to everyone directly and everyone would be talking about it. But because this is a disaster in the making and it's not to that point yet, it's just not at conversation, but I, it should be. It really should be. Delving into it, not only is uh, that, that's a huge, I mean, anyone who did a little bit of geometry, you know, a third <laughs> of the world, not sure. just here, of the <laughs> yeah. world. That means uh, that at some point that's going to have dramatic impacts. And it already does in different regions of the world. And also the, the, the devastating aspect of it is even in the soils that are operational and moving forward, there's a trend that is really very unhealthy and especially in certain westernized countries with the use of synthetic fertilizers and its impact on the ecosystem of the soil itself, the microbiome of the soil. And what that means is that if the soil can't act in the ways that it was normally for a millennium meant to do, which is to pull pollutants out of the earth, to read all of the things that we worry about, CO2, if soil was meant to act and, 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 and behave as it was initially intended to do, we would have so much more of a balance, but also those rich vitamins and nutrients and minerals that you rely on, you think I'm eating this fruit, I'm eating this vegetable, and to know that the fruit and the vegetable does not have the source of vitamins and minerals it did 20 years ago. So now you're vitamin deplicit, depleted. So people all know this because they're taking this and taking that, or they might not even know what they're depleted. And they don't know that depletion of that mineral might be the reason why you have a certain disease. Depletion, your body's in, inability to um, have enough combination of certain vitamins might lead to some of the ailments that you're experiencing. So all of this, that's why I wrote the article, because I wanted to say, yes, I could write an article just about soil. And that's, I wanted you to know that what happens in the soil happens in your food. What happens in the food happens to you. And if you want to be on top of your health, you better be on top of the soil. Yeah. Right. So, um, what can we and should we be doing right now to avoid a bleak prognosis and be able to sustain a healthy environment? Because I'm afraid once we, by the time we actually start talking about this, it could be too late. I mean, we're I mean, a third. That's like I mean, people should be like, what? Wait a minute. What does this actually mean? I'm hearing crazy things like we might start making uh, food out of plastics and things like that. Have you? Yes, have you heard an article yeah. about it? Um, <laughs> actually, already happening in some ways with some of those very synthetic foods, those fake foods <laughs> that people uh, that initially were supposed to be healthier, um, mm -hmm. but they're we don't know all the things that they do in our system and how our body takes those things in. But there are things that that I I never <clears throat> like to be. I forget the the nursery rhyme. Um, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Like I'm never going to be that person because there are other things that you can do to prevent the sky from falling. Okay. So, and you see some farmers doing this regenerative farming practices are really taking a, a, a accountability of how they farm, um, you know, what kind of crops they, they grow. Um, but as ourselves, as consumers, I like to start there. 
So recognize that all foods and fruits and vegetables are not ripe and in season all year long. That's a big thing for our country to recognize because we are used to, I want a strawberry and we don't care when the strawberry is, but do you know that the strawberry really isn't in season all year long? And getting something out of season means you're, you're, you're removing an extra step between when it came from soil and when it comes to you. And they're probably taking it when it's not ripe, when it's because they need it to be they need to extend the life of it and maybe doing some things by way of chemicals to extend life. So the best thing that you can do is to have a relationship with your local farms. And they, and there's so many ways to do this. And even if there's not one, there are farms that will send and you get your vegetables when they're in season, you get your fruits when they're in season. That's one simple thing. And then you ask your farm, what kind of synthetic, what kind of um, pesticides do they use? Is it organic or is it that you can start to educate yourself of what you ask of your farmer? Um, Mm -hmm. And then don't just rely on labels. Um, Little fact, organic, right? I was like, I'm organic. Did you know to be certified organic, there's something called the finishing product. So if, if it's organic all the way through, but in the finishing of that process, getting it from soil they can do some inorganic things to those things so just because it's organic doesn't mean it's organic from the seedling to your mouth it does not mean that so you need to know that so you want to know what your farm's practices are and then I'm going to say you want to be at the forefront of looking at because we're at this time right now where we can have a voice about what's how we heal it and making sure the small farmer has the resources um, to be able to do the kind of farming that's going to be healthy for us. Um, and so really on the fertilizer side, we have a voice for it. So I tell people, I write articles so that you can speak your voice and make sure those practices are not going to be extended outside of our soils to other countries who have much more rich soils. And we don't need their our practices to start to affect those other two thirds of soil that are, are doing well. So you know, yeah. partly is, you know, what you can do locally, but also I'm a, I'm a big advocate to let your voice be known. It's important enough. It's a, an yeah. important enough issue. It takes me back. I did a lot of um, farm and farming stories um, as a young reporter in Lynchburg, Virginia, and then also in Tennessee and just going to farm after farm and learning about their organic farming versus the farms that use all the pesticides. And that really got me thinking a long time ago about, you know, this whole, you are what you eat and you have to kind of know where, you know, where's your food coming from, (laughs) you know, and those things are so very important, you know, Uh, but people just take things kind of for granted. And I think we're going to, before it's all over, we're going to have to really get in there and um, all become educated about, you know, what we're putting in our bodies and just kind of doing some things that we can all do to help improve the world as a whole. Um, One of the questions I wanted to ask you, do you, do you think that COVID has had any impact on healthy soil and the environment? Because, you know, you think about all of the cleaning supplies and things that have been used and, um, you know, the uh, PPE equipment uh, that medical facilities use. I mean, I 
I know they had to increase. Nobody's even talking about that. But in terms of pollution, where does it all go right into our landfills and even the cleaning and uh, the extra cleaning and stuff going down the sink in the water? And, you know, I think about all those things. Um, so do you think uh, what kind of impact or have you have you even, you know, looked into that at all? The impact that they that may have had on- specifically looked into it, but I will say that you bring up a very good point. One of the things that, you know, I wrote an article about soil. I could equally write an article about water. Mm-hmm. What we put in the soil, what we dump in this, this system here, or that system here, all makes it into the water. And, um, you know, I, I can surmise that that's going to be a very big challenge, but I, it is something that I would love to delve a little bit more into. I think, um, you know, you, you, you bring up a really good point. Sometimes we do things out of expediency. And of course, um, you know, the, the initial thought process is get the harshest chemical available to, you know, kill this disease or kill the germs or kill yet. I'll just put this out there yet. There are things that could be as effective or even more effective than those harsh chemicals that come from nature to do the same things. We just, we gravitate to certain things instantly in a moment without the ramifications of what all those things mean long-term. So um, it would just stand to reason that we have to take a real close look at the water systems and what's happening. Those are already being very challenged. I could have written the same article about what's happening water globally. So it's already under challenge and it definitely was an increase with a lot of the chemicals that were, you know, utilized for not just a few months, for years um, in a larger quantity. We know that because if we're running out, right, of certain chemicals all the time. So um, it's, I, I, I would love to, uh, we'll just have to continue that. I'd love to do another article on water and that, and well, I would like to see more things coming out of it, about all of this, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. We just need to know what's going on. And, um, and as you said, before it's at a point where it's critical, you know, and we're scurrying around exactly. trying to find a solution. Yeah, I like to, to be a little proactive, a little yes. ahead of the curve, you know. So many people just wait, we wait till we're always in crisis mode and uh, we really must do better. Yes. Um, as we were talking about COVID, I understand you lost two brothers, did you tell me, to COVID? Um, I am so sorry for your loss because I can't even imagine. Um, and I would think that that has, uh, impacted your life obviously in a major way. Did this, um, and your own health trials push you to do more also in the area of health and wellness? Was that an extra kind of push with, with all of that change, you know, um, that you've undergone? It is like, um, you know, some things are almost surreal as you look back on certain s- s- segments of your life. Um, my brothers, twin brothers, my young, they were the youngest of five. Um, I know my sister's listening on this, so I'm going to do my brothers justice, Edgar and, and John. Um, we were going through COVID like everybody else. Uh, they didn't normally live uh, together, but they, my brother, John, who had been in media, was getting back to go back into media. And he just came up to live with his brother for a little piece of time. And then COVID hit mm-hmm. and they got uh, one of the variants. And because they're twins, I understand their bodies reacted very similar to it. 
and they got very sick very quickly. But um, what I was going to say through it is it, it did reinforce a couple of just live, beautiful lives and really some of my best friends, you know, um, people I talk to pretty much almost on a daily basis. Um, my brothers and my sisters, we always say we love each other at the end of every call. My family, that's just we were. No, no things ever unsaid. But when my brothers um, passed, and it was so heavy on my heart. And one of the things I that came to me, and often when I speak, uh, I always feel like God downloads things in me. It sometimes in pieces, a word or phrase, or Lisa, you should be this or that. But this whole presentation came to me like an, an amazing, like this is something that could help and heal for others. And what I realized. Um, afterwards, uh, one area of my programming that I had not really dealt with as much is pain. And I would start researching about books and people have, you know, going through loss and stages of loss. And there's a lot of books out, but a lot of people would say, but how do I handle the pain while it's in pain? Like, I, I understand that I understand that I have to give myself grace and I'm going through things. And, and so I started really looking into things based on science based on spirit, based on the body, um, body physiology, what are ways that people, what are things you can do while you're in that state? What are things that I did while I was in that state? It's not theoretical. What are things that are based in science and, you know, had a chance to present on that recently in um, Arizona at a, at a conference and really kind of, you know, one of the things really doing something putting different things together, like a brain um, kind of science thing with a body physiology, something called taking a grateful step. So in your walk, you know, thinking about just something you're very grateful for is a very strong science that that changes the body chemistry, changes your brain chemistry, releases endorphins, and then the benefits of walking. But putting those two together can have an amazing impact on just being able to get you back to being present and recognizing the beauty that exists around you. And that can be so much of a heal. So I had a, you know, a series of things like that. And I credit my brothers for that. And when I will again stand on stage um, talking on this, and it is one of the things that I'm so proud to say that that came as a result of the love that we shared. And I believe very, very, very much so. That's the message that they knew so many people have lost. I don't stand alone on that, sadly. Yes. But what I wanted to show was there, even in the midst of pain, that there is possibility, that there is purpose, and that if you allow yourself, you can even see that there is beauty and brokenness. Wow. Very powerful. Very, very true. And... um I'm wondering if um, that's part of how you motivate people to actually make a change in their own lives. Because a lot of people talk about things. It's like that push in the beginning of the year where everybody runs to the gym. It's like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then by, you know, February in the gym, there's like two people in the 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? There are like two people in there. So how, how do you uh, how do you motivate people and keep them motivated? Because I think that's what you have here with this whole mind body uh, connection. I think that's beautiful. So yeah. is, is, tell us how you do that. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote my book, and my book is really based on the program that I was doing, always through the hospitals or even through personal clients. And that was this whole thing of a commit, do, live. So I, I, and all of them are important. So commit, I would really take time um, to not brush over why you are where you are. Right. So if someone has been, someone comes to me and, and or a group has said, you know, we've been dieting our whole life and it always doesn't work. And I say, okay, what is at the root? And I have like exercises and things to get people at the root of why, because you got to know your why. And you also have to have an appreciation of who, who you are. So that's all a part of, I call really kind of a fun aspect of committing to take the time to seed the soil. So you're seeding a brand new soil for a brand new crop or a brand new life. We want to seed it right. And so we're going to do and know those things. And at the same time, recognize that Rome was not built in a day. And I don't want you to think about this as a continuum of a four week, six weeks, six months, one year, whatever you want to put on the time frame. Usually it's 12 weeks, two days, 24 hour. Um, think about it in terms of a new life, a new outlook. So it didn't take your body two days, 24 hours, two weeks, whatever to be here. It took it a longer time. So now you're going to go on this beautiful journey. And so a lot of my work is switching. It's neuroplasticity. It's switching what was once bad to once good, what was negative to positive. And there are ways to do that over time. Um, and at the same time, the exercises, uh, ways that I you know, put together things for groups, and I love doing it in the corporate environment even, um, is to make it community-based and fun. Because if it's not community-based, we've got some other people that, hey, you know, Lisa had that crazy thing. And it's not fun. It's not going to be continued. Um, and then as you- That is so true. <laughs> right? Come on now. Yes. Someone comes in and is like, this is, you know, I'm going to say, get in there and do me 20 sit-ups. You know, no one, it's just, you could do it. She's not going to do it again. And you're probably not going to have me. Right. But if I said- you know, um, some of the fun things I would have with when I was working with some of the nurses in the hospital, I'd say, okay, so here you are, boy, you're in there. I said, this certain doctor comes in, you know, they talk a lot. You have to sit, tell them you're just going to sit against the wall. You sit in the wall and you have to stay in the squat until he stops, until he pauses. We just have all these games. I have breathing breaks. I have breath breaks. I have, uh, you know, how many steps does it take you to go from this to this distance? And we would do this in teams and arts and everybody. We're so united. And what's amazing to me, no matter where I've worked, different places, from, I still have these groups of people that are still together. They're still together, still doing things. That's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. That you're able to bring them together like that and keep them together. That That's is just right. incredible. That's right. I'm looking at the time here. I think we're just about out of time. Before we go, I just want to ask you if uh, you would like a few of these folks to join you or they really wish to join you on your journey and, yes. and be a part of that, how can they reach out to you? So the best way I'm going to say is just go on my website. So it's yescoachlisa.com and you'll see that there's a little reach out 
button that you can really come on and, and, um, you know, ask whatever questions. I have some free gifts if you come on and, and, uh, if you join, you know, my email list, I definitely have some additional free guests, gifts for you. That's going to be the easiest to do. Um, I always say wherever I come, I am really humbly your servant. So if, if I said something that raised a question, if there's some additional information you want, just if that's even, that's what you want, come on and ask, because I'm here to serve. Um, if, if it's okay, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm off on, you know, so partly what I do is I put together retreats. And the first retreat is next week in the Dominican Republic. Um, I'm so sad to just be learning about this because I definitely could have used that trip, you know. But, reinventing um, the woman. So with to be yes. continued, more to come. Right. Right. Exactly. We're definitely going to be there with you. And I just want to say, I thank you so much for joining us today on the Celestine show. That definitely is all the time we have for now, but I definitely will have to keep up with you and have you on again because you are an amazing woman. And I do appreciate all that you're doing. Um, I want to say, please be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next broadcast or check us out on YouTube for previous episodes. I'm Dr. Celeste Stein. Thanks for watching.